We're in our series, which is called The Upside Down Church, and we've been talking about um, last week, this week, and next week, we're going to be focusing on what was it that made the early church unique? Uh, what was it about the early believers that made Christianity something that people were excited about? What was it about the early church that made the difference? And today we're talking about what it means to, to pull together, uh, to come together for the greater good and the greater cause. I, I believe if you were to look at our economy as a nation today, you probably would think that things were going really well, but it wasn't uh, too many decades ago that things weren't. In fact, in, in the, uh, the time of the 1929 to 1933, our nation hit a real low. In fact, unemployment went from 3% to about one out of every four Americans that were out of work. And we, we labeled that time frame of that season, wow, I just entered puberty, didn't I? Time frame. We entered that time frame um, understanding that uh, we called it the Great Depression. And the Great Depression was, um, was, a, was a difficult time in our nation, but our nation got creative in ways to come together uh, and to pull through that. One of the ways in which we did that was that we realized that people were desperate for work and they would do anything to make ends meet, to put uh, food on the plates for their families. And about um, a couple thousand workers gathered together um, on the border of Arizona and Nevada for a huge government project. And that project was to go and, and to build a dam. So most of these workers brought their families with them. They lived in, in horrible conditions, some days up to 120 degrees, living in their tent cities. Oftentimes did not have clean water and sanitary conditions were not good at all. But they worked together and after a couple of years, they constructed what then was the largest dam ever built in this nation, the Hoover Dam. And the Hoover Dam, uh, the construction was, was huge and it was completed in 1935. Uh, the dam wasn't built to provide people solely employment, but it actually was built to uh, necessitate something that our nation needed. The Colorado River was, um, was, uh, was uh, uh, not doing well with its high and low seasons, and sometimes it was a dry spell. There was never any consistency uh, with being able to use the water for farming conditions so that the dam was a part of that, but it also began to realize that it generated a lot of power that powered Southern California, Nevada, and Arizona. Uh, when we look at the church today, we take a look at a project that's similar to that. We say how we can come together as individuals outside of the church and do something for humanity that has such a huge impact, not only in our nation, but, but in all areas, and we wonder how can we replicate that in the life of the church? Well, we know that it happened in Acts chapter 2. We see that the church was given birth, and the church began to make a stringent road toward heralding the words of Jesus. What I love about the story about the early church was that as they began to formulate their ideas, as they began to tell the story of Jesus, they knew exactly what they were saying was the truth. How do we know that? Many of them were the eyewitnesses that were there that, that, that saw Jesus' healing miracles. They, they listened to his teaching. They saw Jesus actually killed on a cross. And yet three days later, they saw him rise from the dead just as he said. In fact, it, the early disciples believed in something really inherent that we must pull with today as well. And that is if someone can predict their own death, rise from the dead, and be seen by over 500 witnesses after their resurrection, then maybe we ought to follow that person as well, because that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They accomplish these things, not because of Facebook posts or tweets, but they accomplish things 300 years before the Bible was ever written, before the book was even compiled, Christianity had given birth. And they did it solely because they pulled together and they believed in their heart that the story of Jesus was true. And they began to share their faith with others who were around them. It's important that we look today at the importance of presence, not with the T, but presence, being presence, the presence of being with each other, the presence of Christ with us. In other words, committing to show up to be a strong Christian community. Why is that important? Think back to the dam. There's, there's no way that that project, as big as it was, could have ever been accomplished had people not pulled together as a single entity for the single cause to make sure that the work was accomplished. And Jesus gave us a mandate, and that mandate is exactly what is called to pull us together as Christians, and that is to go and make disciples of all individuals. And we are to share with them and to teach them what Jesus Christ had to say. And we are to share that love with God in a powerful way. The thing is, if we're, if we're willing to pitch our tents and, and roll up our sleeves and get to work, we can work together to change the landscape of Pinellas County. We really can do that. We can work together to change the landscape of Pinellas County. And like those construction workers did as they accomplished that goal to build the Hoover Dam, together we can make a difference where the life and the love of Christ is made whole in our community. By showing up means that we take part in what's happening and that we too, metaphorically, can irrigate the land and that we too can share the living water so that all of God's people and people who don't know God yet can come into God's presence and that we too can be the earthly presence of Jesus Christ here in our community. We can do this because St. Paul... We are for Pinellas. We're for Pinellas. Now, what does that mean? I started talking about this a little bit last week, and it, too often it seems like everybody knows what the church is against. You talk to a Christian, well, we're against this, and we're against this. We want to make sure that people know what the church is for. We want to make sure that people know that, that we are for our neighbors, that we are for our community, that we are for our first responders. We are for the businesses in our community. We are for those who are in need. We are for sharing gener uh, generosity and kindness and, and, and advocating for positive change in our community. We are for sharing God's love unequivocally with all people in our community. And that's why at St. Paul, we are for Pinellas. We are for Pinellas, which means that, that we are reaching out beyond our walls and that we are showing people what God's love is all about. We're not only telling them what to believe, but we're demonstrating through our actions of love and kindness and humility and the ways in which we reach others. It also means that, that we're lifting up people in our community that we see positive things that are happening, and we are making sure that our community sees the positives that are happening around us. We've been tracking this with hashtag for Pinellas, and we've been using social media, and we've been using other ways to help us make sure that we're getting the word out, but more importantly, that our community knows that the family of St. Paul United Methodist Church is with them. You know, uh, last year we, we showed you uh, the string art. We've been using a, a plaque, which actually now is in our lobby. 
And we've been using that plaque, and every time that we have had a positive touch in our local community, we've used a piece of string to outline what Pinellas County looks like. And when we started that, after about four months, we had 480 touch points where we had been uh, shown the love of Jesus and we had shared the love of Jesus and, and demonstrated that love and kindness of our Lord uh, throughout our community. 480 touch points in four months. Well, this last year, folks, we've had over 11,000 of these. 11,000 ways in which we have had a positive influence in our community. You can see it right there. You can see it out in the lobby as you go out as well. Every one of those strings represents where we have been a part of shining the light of Jesus Christ into our communities. How have we been doing that? We've done that as people have been touched by our church through our events, like homeless feedings and for Pinellas Thanksgiving and for Pinellas Christmas events, backpack deliveries, pack-a-sack, and our annual patch bash. Uh, we've, we've touched people through our volunteers, our volunteers who have, who have helped our ministries that, that touch our community, like the Back to School Jubilee, our Jumpstart Tutoring Ministries within the middle and high schools, our Handy Capable Ministry, our Open Arms Ministry. We've done this through random acts of kindness where, where many of you have seen a, a perfect stranger in your community where you have dropped everything that you were doing that was of importance for you that day because your neighbor had a need and you introduced yourself to them and you shared the love of Jesus by making their life even better. Through hashtag for Pinellas, uh, we've been able to lift up the great things that are happening in our community. When you visit restaurants, when you go to places of business, when the person who is serving you or, or who is um, uh, bringing something of value to you, when they do a great job, share that with us. Make sure that their manager knows. Make sure the people that they work with knows. And make sure they understand that you are sharing the love of God in a positive way, because you go to a church that wants to lift up the goodness of your local community. And we also see it through our St. Paul groups who attend community events like the National Day of Prayer, local sports and arts events, and the Night of Hope, and so many more things that come from this. But for all of this to happen, for all of this to continue to be, there's something that we have to know as individuals. And you and I need to understand that the church isn't the same when we're not connecting. When you're not connecting with the church, the church isn't the same. You're not the same when you're not connecting as well. When you're not connecting with the church, you're not experiencing the good that God is doing or, that, or, uh, or the, the good things that God wants to do through you. And we've been sharing and using these testimonies the last couple weeks of ways in which ordinary people have allowed themselves to be used by God to be made into a powerful image for our community. When we aren't attending weekly worship, we miss out. We miss something when we're absent, when we're absent. But you need to also understand that the church misses you too. And that's probably why the writer of Hebrews said it this way. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. God knows that, that, that he wants us to be involved and engaged in his mission and his purpose on earth. And we understand without the presence of God and without each other, we cannot accomplish that. But when we come together, we see great results. 
the writer George Bernard Shaw said this. He said, I'm of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for my community whatever I can. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are we willing to do for our community? What are we willing to do for people who live around us? Are we willing to be all in? Are we willing to give our life in the name of our Lord to make their life different, to make their life better, to connect them in a way and lead them along to the path of discipleship? Christian writer Chuck Swindoll uh, wrote a story one time. It was very powerful, and, and he talked about how in a communist country there was a band of people who got together to worship. And what they would do is they would meet in a, in a house together once a week on Sundays. But what they would do is they wouldn't all gather at the same time in that place, but they would gather in groups that would just kind of trickle in because they did not want to alarm the officials that they were holding a Christian gathering. Swindoll continues to write that on one occasion, as they were all gathered there, as they were in the midst of singing hymns and in time of prayer, the doors were burst open with armed guards and militiamen. The militiamen in the army came in, and they began to rail at the Christian believers who had gathered in this small space. And the first thing that they said was, if you will renounce Jesus right now, we will let you go. And some of those who were a part of that Christian gathering quickly made their way outside of the building and ran off and left. And they looked at the remainders that were there and they said, this is going to be really hard on any remaining believers. We're going to give you one more chance to leave. And if you will just say that you will no longer worship Jesus as the Christ, we will let you go for free. And if you stay, something grave will happen to you. And some more people trickled off to save their own lives. They closed the doors. The guards then lined the remainder of the people up against the wall. And Swindoll says that in fear, they all looked and trembled at these armed militiamen as to what step would be next. And at that time, they, they raised their weapons at those that were standing against the wall. And then the leader of the group said, raise your hands in the air. And they all raised their hands in the air. And then they put down their weapons and they said, let us all praise God together now because we too are fellow Christians. And as they came together, they said, why did you do that? And they said, because worshiping God is a great risk in our country. And we had to make sure that we could trust those with whom we would worship. So Swindoll tells, tells a huge story about our faith. I mean, you talk about a Christian witness. That right there is a witness. You talk about a willingness to be present, to be a part of worship, to be a part of what God is doing. Now, we don't live in an atmosphere like that where an army is going to rush in with their, with their guns and tell us that we're no longer allowed to worship. Uh, we are allowed to worship freely in our country. We don't have to worry about that. But oftentimes, we take that for granted we see that sometimes we just take life a lot easier and we sometimes forget the commitment that is so needed because life just seems to be going along well or we're just in our normal uh, vacancy of life just kind of moving along. And we take that commitment for granted and we forget that we are to be committed to our faith. What if our lives depended on that commitment? What if we were willing to look at it as radical obedience. What if God called us 
to be different than we really are. And I believe God is doing that right now. And as we become more radically obedient, as we pull together, not only will we reshape the landscape of Pinellas County, but we'll reshape the landscape even greater than that. Because God's work is not just limited to this little sphere in which we live, but God calls us to make disciples of all people. I wonder what it would be like if I asked you to do something today, if I asked you to make a commitment, if I asked you to take out your calendars and to check off every Sunday that you would be in church the coming, not only just the coming year, but for the rest of your life. How many Sundays would you check off? How many Sundays would you make that commitment to be in worship, to worship God and to be connected with that? What if, um, what if we discovered that um, when, you, when you really write it down, when you take, take that commitment, I found that when you commit to something, especially in writing, you uphold it and you follow it. Those of us who do daily devotions and we journal, we find out that when we see it in writing, it goes deeper into our heart, doesn't it? And it means a, a greater level of commitment. What if you believed that those Sundays that you weren't in church, that you were actually missed? What if you believed those Sundays that you weren't in worship, that you were going to miss something? What if you truly believe, if I'm not worshiping God in church today, uh, then that I'm going to miss out on God's blessing somehow? What if that was the driving force that helped us to stay connected? But more importantly, what if you, be what if you believed that if you weren't in church, that your day, that your week, that your life was not going to uphold the great goodness of what you knew your potential to be. This is the kind of obedience, this is the kind of commitment that we saw in the early church. In fact, they said that they gathered together all the time for the apostles' teaching, for the breaking of bread, which meant that they also shared a sacrament. And they did life together, and they did not take it for granted. What if we as the community of St. Paul United Methodist Church did the same? What if we reverted to that kind of standard? When Jesus gave us the new covenant, he inserted something to replace the rules and the need to be rule keepers. Instead of keeping the rules, Jesus' new command says that we are to ask a very different question. He said that the old covenant said, what rules do I need to abide by in order to be good into the presence of God? But the new covenant, Jesus said, when he issued that new covenant in the, in the upper room, he basically said the new covenant begs a different question. And the question it begs is, what does God require of me? What does God require of me? And what does God require of me in my love of others? That's really what Jesus said the new commandment was. The new covenant answer isn't about rule keeping. It's, it's all about loving others as Jesus has loved us. And when we pull together, when we become one body, when we come together in unity and we love that kind of way, the testimony and witness of the church can never be defeated. Because even the greatest naysayers can't deny when people truly love each other. Even the greatest villains of the faith can't, can't pull away when they understand that we offer love and forgiveness and hope to one another, and they see it happening and changing lives. Jesus taught us that sometimes life is not black and white, that life at times is gray. In fact, Jesus pointed that out 
in a story that he told, and he said this story. He tells a story of a man who was attacked on the road between uh, Jericho and Jerusalem, and he says that this man um, it falls prey to robbers, and he's stripped down, and he's beaten, and he's bloodied, and he is, everything is taken away from him. His face is covered with mud, I can imagine, from the tears that he cried, from the extreme pains of the body blows that he had on the road by these attackers. Jesus then goes on to say that two men came into the presence of the man. One was a priest, uh, someone we would think highly of, and the other was a church worker, a Levite. That's what Levites were. They served in the temple. But both of these men knew that the old laws were that if we reached out and we touched somebody who was dirty and who was bloody and who uh, was filthy, that it was a violation of the law. And therefore, to do that, to offer any kind of help, the law taught them that it would make them unclean and that, that they could no longer be in the temple performing the acts of worship they needed unless they went through a ritual cleansing. And they realize that they're on their way to the temple, and we can't risk that. We can't do that. Holy people don't do these kinds of things. But Jesus then introduces us to a third person. And he says that this third person comes alongside the downtrodden man. He's not one who lives by the old covenant rules, but instead he's the one who will discover that he is living into Jesus' new covenant of love. A Samaritan, it says, traveling the road came on him, came upon the wounded man. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. I, I look at that as love was pouring out over this man. He gave him first a disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. And then he lifted him onto his donkey and he led him to an inn and made him comfortable. And in the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said these words, take good care of him. If it costs any more, then put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. In telling this story, Jesus looks at all of us today and he says, what do you think? Which one of these three was the true neighbor to the man? Which one of these three demonstrated love to the man? And we know the answer to that. It's the one who wasn't the rule keeper. It was the one who was the outcast, the Samaritan, who began to demonstrate loving like Jesus can change lives. A couple of lumberjacks were hard at work, and there was a, an older gentleman and a younger gentleman. And the younger gentleman was, was uh, feeling really good about himself, and he said to the older gentleman, he said, I bet you I can chop more logs that you, than you can chop. And the older gentleman said, well, okay, let's, let's go at it. So they set a time limit for four hours. And in that four-hour period, they chopped and they chopped and they chopped all the wood that they possibly could. The young kid was, was working up a sweat and his muscles were bulging and, and he was hurting, but he was going to be uh, convicted to beat this old man. And, and as he continued to do that, he watched as the older lumberjack would stop periodically. And he's like, man, he's taking a coffee break. Look at that. I mean, I, I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. And he's chopping and he's chopping and he's chopping. And he, at the end of those four hours, something amazing happened when they looked at the amount of wood. The young man was so proud of this pile of wood that he had chopped for four hours. And then he saw the wood that the older lumberjack had chopped. It was twice as much. And the young lumberjack looked at the older lumberjack and he said, but you took coffee breaks and you didn't work hard at all. He said, young man, in between, I was sharpening my ax. And you can chop more wood when your ax is sharper. 
So see, so many of us, we resemble that young man, don't we? We charge into life, and, and it doesn't have to be that way. We, we need to learn to come together, older and younger alike. We need to pull together to learn the lessons. We need to sharpen each other. Iron sharpens iron, as, as the words say. And we need to understand the importance of what it means as to what we can pull off when we come together as a church family. The workers that were toiling away on the Hoover Dam, uh, they got paid and it wasn't entirely a selfless act and maybe some of them worked it solely because they would get paid and it would uh, pay the bills for their family. But in the greater scheme of things, they came to learn and understand that the greater role that they contributed was far more than merely earning a paycheck. I think some people look at church that way. They see it as something that they, that they are required to do to even things out, that I have to go to church because it's this great burden and I have to balance the bad parts of my life with the good. But Jesus said that's not why we come to worship. Jesus said that worship is coming into the presence of the Almighty God and that when we come into the throne room of God, we feel the power and the presence and the grace that only can come from God. And that we know, that we know, that we know that in the midst of our brokenness, that when we confess our sin and we repent, that we are healed and that Christ has won the victory. As the family of God, our role is to continue the work that Christ has commanded us to do. And together, together, when we pull together, we will do just that.